Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of September 18th from Pastor Brett Cottrell. So we're going to just uh, wrap up the book of Daniel tonight, or this morning, I should say. And uh, next week, we'll be starting a brand new series on what it means to be a disciple of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So I encourage you to be here for that next Sunday. This morning, however, we find ourselves in Daniel chapter 6. It is perhaps of all the stories of Daniel, and Daniel is one of the characters in the Old Testament that we perhaps know the stories of, perhaps more than others. But if there is a definitive story about Daniel that we probably all know, whether we were raised in church or not, it's probably the story of Daniel and the lion's den. It's probably the story that we most affiliate with him. You know, there are, we, we can think of famous people and well-known people, whether they are historical figures or present day, and many of them are perhaps known for one thing or another. If I was to mention the name Paul Revere, what's Paul Revere known for? The Midnight Ride. Now, I have a hunch that Paul Revere did more than that, but that's kind of that most famous moment, isn't it? Uh, we could do this again. I, it, we, we could pick up somebody like a, a Benjamin Franklin. We could pick out any number of modern-day athletes and politicians and probably find one or two things they're most known for. But what we wouldn't see necessarily are all the other things that lead up to that or all the other things that contribute to that. We would remember that, we would remember that one moment, perhaps, but we would look past all the other things that take place, the hours and years of faithful work and preparation and discipline that may have led to that one moment. Well, as we come to, to Daniel chapter 6, and we think about Daniel spending that night in the lion's den and what that must have been like to have that type of courage, to have that type of boldness, to have all that it would take to stand up to a king and submit yourself to that type of a situation, as momentous and memorable as his night in the lion's den was, I don't know that this chapter is purely about Daniel and the lion's den. I think there's something else that's taking place that we see earlier in the chapter. Let's read a little bit. Daniel chapter 6. Remember, the Persians have come in and are now reigning. The Babylonians are out. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom, and over them three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them and that the king might not suffer loss. Then this, Daniel began, then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit, and the king planned to appoint him power over, him, over the entire kingdom. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption, inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Then these men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against us, Daniel, unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days, shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document, that is, the injunction. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, 
He entered his house, now in his roof chamber. He had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. They approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast into the lion's den? The king replied, the statement's true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Then they answered and spoke before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, king, or to the injunction which you have signed, but keeps making his petition three times a day. As soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. These men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that's a law of the Medes and the Persians, that no injunction of, or statute which the king establishes may be changed. The king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. Heavenly Father, as we read this and continue on throughout the passage later on this morning, would you in fact make your word clear? May we in fact gain some insight as to what enabled Daniel to do what he did. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, this story is perhaps one of the more well-known stories in all of Scripture. It for sure is perhaps Daniel's most famous moment. The lion's den. That's what pops out. Nobody is volunteering to spend the night with a bunch of hungry lions. And yet, I believe it is verse 10 that is actually the key to this chapter. Daniel finds out about the thing that has been, he finds out about the injunction, the command that's been signed by Darius. And what we see is a couple things. First, it says that he was in the habit of, of praying with his windows open, out in public, so to speak, towards Jerusalem, and that he continued kneeling and praying three times a day, even with the injunction in place, as he had always been doing. In other words, Daniel had, for perhaps most of his life, for years and years and decades and decades, been praying in this way, and a king's command was not going to stop it, was not going to to change it. You know, in the age of fame, social media, and taglines and mottos and moments, viral moments, the world that we live in today, people try to pr put it, present perhaps an image that, that they want others to see. You can be on Facebook, you can be on TikTok, you can be on Instagram, and you can give people an image of who you are. You can be a celebrity or fame a famous athlete, and you can, for the most part, control how the world sees you. You can present an image that you want them all to think about you. Sometimes it's the best moments. Sometimes it's, despite our best attempts, it might be the worst moments. But nonetheless, for the most part, people seem to have the ability to control how others see them. But it's the people who are around someone, whether they're famous or whether they're just a regular, ordinary person. It's the people who are around them on a day-in and day-out basis who really know them. As we come through Daniel, even his enemies, it turns out, know more than just the image of Daniel. They know more than just his reputation. They know Daniel. In fact, they know him so well that despite their every attempt to find dirt on him, they can't find any. 
Daniel has a reputation, but he also, those who know him, know him to be a man of prayer, a man of faith, a man of integrity, that they can't find anything bad about whatsoever. Those who know Daniel the best, those who have studied him the most, know him to be a man who prays daily. Again, we may think of Daniel and the courage he had facing the lions, but the the thing that gave Daniel the ability to be faithful in faithless times, the thing, that gave, the thing that gave Daniel the ability to face the lions was his daily prayer, was his walk with God. Verse 5, these guys say they can't find anything against Daniel. They know that he's, his reputation actually precedes him, and in fact, they can't find any problems. He's not corrupt. He's not evil. He's not stealing a little bit on the side. In fact, the plot that they hatched to, to trap Daniel assumes he will continue his integrity. He was so well known for his faithfulness. He was so well known for his praying. He was so well known for his truthfulness and his faithfulness to God that they actually banked on it. If Daniel, for whatever reason, had decided to not be faithful, their whole plan would have fallen apart. They had assumed and banked on the idea that Daniel would be who he had always been. Verse 10, he's praying towards Jerusalem. Now, we might be thinking to ourselves, why in the world would Daniel be making a habit of praying with his windows open on his upstairs terrace facing Jerusalem? This isn't necessarily something that God told the people of Israel that they had to do. Why was Daniel doing this? Well, it's kind of interesting. A few weeks ago, earlier, we were looking at the life of Daniel early on. We saw a, a prayer that Solomon had given. Now, Solomon, several hundred years before this in the book of 1 Kings, has built and is now dedicating the brand new temple in Jerusalem that David had wanted to build, but God didn't allow him to do so. So Solomon had built it. And in 1 Kings chapter 8, as Solomon is now dedicating this brand new temple to God in Jerusalem, he says this in his prayer, beginning in chapter 8 of 1 Kings. He says this, when they, that is Israel, when they sin against you, for there is no man who does not sin, and you're angry with them and deliver them to an enemy so that they may be taken away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near. If they take thought in the land where they have been taken captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land of those who have taken them captive, saying, we've sinned and have committed iniquity, we have acted wickedly. If they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who have taken them captive, and they pray to you toward the land which you have given to them, the city which you have chosen, the house which I have built for your name, hear their prayer and their supplication in heaven, your dwelling place, and maintain their cause. Hundreds of years before Daniel is even born, Solomon prays a prayer that says, God, at that moment in time in history when your people have sinned against you and they've been taken captive, if they will face towards your temple and if they will have a heart of repentance and if they will pray to you, would you hear their prayers? I have no doubt that Daniel knew what Solomon had said hundreds of years before. And Daniel, upon knowing what that prayer that Solomon had said was, found himself day after day, week after week, year after year, doing exactly what Solomon talked about there in 1 Kings 8. And he finds himself, because his heart's bent towards Jerusalem, his heart's bent towards his home, prays openly for God's move towards the people of Israel. So that's what's happening. That, this is why Daniel is doing what he is doing. 
And understand, when we come to the events of, of, chapter, of chapter 6, we might think to ourselves, as I, I first did the first time I really realized what Daniel was doing here, was this. Why can't you just shut the doors? You don't have to pray out there. You can just pray back here. No one has to know. Why can't you just sit back from the window a little bit? Why don't you just pray in your prayer closet, so to speak? Why do you have to make such a scene? Because it feels like Daniel's going, hey, look at me, I'm praying. But then you see the end of verse 10. It says that he did this as he had been doing previously. In other words, Daniel didn't just upon hearing about the commandment think to himself, I'm going to go out there and make a spectacle of myself of praying. Daniel had been praying this way for years. He had been doing it for decades, perhaps. He was known to do this. <coughs> Excuse me. It was his reputation. It was his life. Daniel had spent a long time praying in this way. And imagine, upon hearing the king's declaration, even if, he's, even if Daniel knew it for the transparent political ploy that it was, upon hearing the king's declaration, if Daniel had stopped praying let's say he had let's say he just said listen you know what i've been praying for 70 years 30 days off is not going to be that big a deal or maybe he could have said you know what i've been praying out there in the open but praying back here in the back corner of my room that's not going to be a big deal for 30 days and maybe he would have been right but imagine everyone knows this is what daniel does if he had stopped right after the king had made this declaration, how would the world have seen that? Well, they would have seen a guy in their eyes who stopped praying. They would have seen a guy that it would appear like had given up his practice of faithfulness because of what Darius had done. He couldn't stop. If he had stopped praying in this way, he would have been abandoning a lifetime he would have been leaving behind his reputation. He would have been leaving behind a clear, open faithfulness to God. I've entitled this morning, Open Window, Open Windows. Because not only did Daniel open up the windows and pray this way, but the reality was his heart, his life was open in such a way that people saw his faithfulness. They saw the God of Israel, of Isaac, Abraham, and Jacob. And if he had stopped, it would have given people the idea, if he had closed the shutters, so to speak, it would have given people the idea that God was not, in fact, God, and that Darius was. This command, that the, in fact, let's, let's take a quick look at Darius here. We, we recognize that Darius, to a certain degree here, is being played. Maybe Darius even comes off a little bit naive. How could, how could someone like Darius agree to something so over the top? Only let people pray to you. Well, what's happening is this. It wasn't necessarily the, tr the tradition of the, of the Persian kings, but it was not uncommon in ancient history, whether you're in Egypt or other places, for kings to claim some sense of a, of a divine mandate or even a divinity themselves. That's how they sometimes maintain control. And so essentially what's happening is these governors, these conspirators are coming to Darius and saying this, if you want to really consolidate your power and really make people come to you only, recognize you as the true king, what you need to do is this, make people pray to you. In other words, Darius, you are the one 
who now the world has to go through to get to God. That's really the, the gist of this. And for the next three days, we're going to make this so. And so, again, Darius might be a bit of a naive fool to fall for this particular trick, but the other side is, that, is this. Darius' own ego, his own sinfulness, makes himself open to such a temptation. He goes, you know what? I hadn't thought about it, but I do kind of like the idea of think, people thinking of me like a god. That's not a bad idea. I think we'll do that for the next month. So Darius' own ego does, in fact, play a role here. Now, did he think it through? No. How many of you all ever done something without thinking it through? <laughs> I mean, the list is probably pretty long. You know, I did this. I had no idea that it was going to produce all this other stuff. Well, Darius' own sin, his own ego, opens himself up to this, and he does this without really thinking through all the consequences. Now, now back to Daniel. Daniel has this long-term reputation for praying and being faithful to God. Now, in this chapter, in Daniel chapter 6, we need to understand something. Daniel is most likely, at the very least, somewhere in his mid-80s. If you remember, when we started the book of Daniel in chapter 1, Daniel is probably somewhere around 14, 15 years old. Maybe a little bit younger, maybe a little bit older, but he's probably a younger teenager. And now, here in Daniel chapter 6, he's in his 80s. So Daniel is somebody we've gotten a picture of all the way from his being a, a very young man to now being, well, older. If Daniel, say, was 15 when he was captured, he's about 85 now. So Daniel has lived a long life. We have this habit, you and I do, follow me here for a second, of being moved by or learning mostly from things that we personally have experienced. Some of you can remember those great moments in history. It was just a couple years ago we celebrated the 50th anniversary of the Apollo moon landing. Some of you remember that. I was alive but I was like six months old, so I don't really have a memory of the moon landing. Some of you remember what it was like to live through the assassinations of John F. Kennedy or Robert Kennedy or Martin Luther King or the Vietnam War. Some of us don't. Some of you, like me, I remember the Challenger exploding. I remember Reagan's, the assassination, the assassination attempt on Ronald Reagan. I remember the first Gulf War in 1990. I, a great many of you remember 9-11, 21 years ago. Some of you don't. And we have a tendency as, as people to, maybe while we try to learn from other people's experiences, we really learn from our own, mostly, don't we? Now think of all that Daniel has, has gone through. Think of all that Daniel has seen in his 80-something years. Now, we can read history, we can read about events, we can hear people tell their stories, but we don't often take it really to heart. Now, here's why I bring that up. Again, Daniel is 80-something years old here. He's seen, by this point in time in his life, a lot, has he not? You've already heard us talk about the events that took place this last week here in Russellville with a young man who took his life. One of my first thoughts, and it, it wasn't the, quite the same circumstance, but one of my first thoughts was back to my junior year in high school as I was... Uh, we were in the middle of our basketball season. We were playing a, a tournament right around Christmas. 
a basketball tournament. We played on a Friday night. We had a game the next morning. We, uh, we got home that Friday night. It was pretty late, and I don't remember exactly what time it was, but uh, our, uh, the phone rang at our house. Um, this was back when you had, didn't have cell phones. You actually had a phone sitting on the wall over here. The phone rang. My, my dad answered, and it, that uh, one of the teammates, one of the guys I sweat and played basketball with three hours a day and traveled on the bus with, had gone home that night, decided to go get something to drink, had gotten drunk. The police had tried to pull him over. He took off. And he jumped, he wasn't wearing a seatbelt, he was driving an old truck. Jumped the road, was thrown through the window, and was killed. I was 16, 17, I was 16 or 17 years old. That's the first time I'd ever experienced something like that. And we have some young people who perhaps this morning are experiencing something they'd never experienced before either. Now, some of us have seen those things and heard those things and know those things and have been through a lot of them, but there's something about going through them for the first time that means something because we don't always learn from others the way we probably ought to. Craig mentioned it earlier this morning. We have in this church, and I think one of the things I love about our church is that we have, in fact, the generations here. There are those of you who in this room who are like Daniel. You may not be 85 years old, but you have spent a lifetime walking with the Lord and being faithful. And I want you to know this morning, I am grateful for you. There are many of you in this room who have walked through those types of experiences. You've lived through great pain and tragedy, and in the midst of those things, you have incredible stories of God's faithfulness in all kinds of situations. And for those of you who are younger this morning, I want you to look at the people around, look at the ones in this room who have gray in their beards or silver in their hair and understand that some of them have some things that you need. Some of them have stories and they have accounts of God's faithfulness through every circumstance. And you might be 13 or 10 or 18 or 25, I don't know, and you need our stories and accounts of God's faithfulness. Now that being said, remember we started this book and Daniel's like 13 or 14 or 15 years old and he's, he's 15 years old or 16 years old when he stands up before Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar's workers, the most powerful man on the planet at that point in time. And Daniel, the 15-year-old, says, I will not do that. Now some of you know 15-year-olds and go, okay, they say that all the time. But I'm telling you what, that's different when you're facing down the king who can take your life. The truth is, in a generational church like ours, we need the older folks and we need the younger folks. Some of us have stories and accounts and can tell you time after time after time, young people, that when you're going through difficult things, we've walked with God, and we know He will walk with you through those circumstances. And you need to hear that this week. It's true. I've been there. But you know what? I need, those of us with silver in our hair, we need 
the insight, even the wisdom, the energy, and the boldness of these young people. You guys are essential. This morning, we have seen this. I love the fact that we have teenagers on the platform leading us in worship. And let's be honest, Ernie's not a teenager anymore. And I love the fact that he's up here reading Scripture. I love this. This is great. The generations. Let me say this, by the way. If you're young like Daniel in chapter 1, we need you. If you're more like Daniel in chapter (laughs) 6, we need you too. By the way, there's no such thing as retirement. Let it never come from your lips. I'm serious. Whether you're 15 or whether you're 85, never, never let it be said from your lips. My time's over with. I don't have to do that anymore. I've done my bit. Understand that idea is very unbiblical. You'll never find that once. Abraham's a hundred and something years old when God's doing his work through him. Daniel didn't say that in his 80s. Daniel's in his 80s, and he's been asked to be one of the main governors over all of Persia, and he's being, uh, he's been old enough to stand up to, to Darius and ends up in the lion's den. Daniel didn't retire. Think about Anna and Simeon, those two folks in the temple serving and working in ministry at the moment that Christ was born. They, don't, they didn't retire. There is no such thing as retirement from the work of the gospel and the work of the church. Daniel's a veteran, but we need the veterans. We need the young folks. We need the generations. Daniel, when he comes to the events of chapter 6 and the command of the king, and he knows what is in front of him, can probably recall what it was like when he was maybe 18 to 20 years old. I kind of imagine one of the first things that popped into Daniel's mind might have been the events around the fiery furnace of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was probably 65 years before this, 60 years before that, but he remembers what it was like to go through that event. He remembers interpreting dreams for Nebuchadnezzar when he was just a young man. He knows the temptations. He knows the dangers. So knowing all that, and after a lifetime of faithfulness and faith, Daniel prays in front of an open window facing Jerusalem, hiding nothing, proclaiming the name of God. If Daniel would have gone into hiding after the commands of the king, that would have been the red flag. That would have been dishonest. That would have been disobedient. That would have been the lie. Now, one thing I kind of find myself asking this week is, what did Daniel pray? We get a, a, a general idea, and we don't have a long time to get into this, but I mentioned the prayer that Solomon prayed hundreds of years, hundreds of years before at the dedication of the temple. And by the way, you do realize at this point in time in Daniel's life, the temple no longer exists. Nebuchadnezzar knocked it down. There is no temple in Jerusalem that he's praying towards at this point in time in history. But we, we, we saw that prayer that Solomon had. I think we get a glimpse of the prayer that Daniel prayed, actually in Daniel chapter 9. 
computer, just flip over there very, very briefly. In Daniel chapter 9, it says, In the first year of Darius, that's the guy we're talking about now, son of Ahasuerus, the media of Median descent, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed the books, the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to the Lord with God, my God and confessed and said, now we can't read, it's, it's a 20 verse long prayer. Let me sum it up. Daniel says, God, you were just in banishing us to Babylon because we sinned. We were wrong. You kept your word in doing what you did to us. But Father, would you, for the name, for your namesake, would you forgive us? Would you bring us back? I have a hunch that that was part of Daniel's prayer in chapter 6. Daniel would not be deterred from prayers of repentance, from prayers of God's mercy, from prayers for God's forgiveness. He saw in the word of God, he saw in the words of Jeremiah, chapter 25, by the way, is where you find that, there would be 70 years of captivity in Babylon. He saw that if he would confess the sins of the nation, that God would keep that that God had, would keep not only did God keep his promise to discipline, but that God would keep his promise to redeem. And he asked for God to keep his word. Now, meanwhile, as Daniel's getting ready to face down the lions, we didn't read through this, but we fast forward to him. He's in the lion's den now. He has obeyed God, he has been faithful to pray, to lift up the, the people of Israel before the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He has prayed with open windows with a life that's an open window. And as he's put into the throne, as he's put into the lion's den, the king seems to be more frantic than Daniel does. In fact, if we were to keep on reading here, verse 18, it says, The king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting. No entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep fled from him. In other words, the king was panicky. He couldn't be calmed. He was concerned. He didn't know what to pray. He didn't know what to do. He just worried all night long. That was, in fact, the king. Psalm 23 is perhaps the most famous psalm. And in Psalm 23, near the end of that psalm, David writes this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, we could probably quote that, but what does that mean? I understand that a meal at that point in time was not, it's, it, the table's kind of on the ground and you kind of reclined. In other words, a meal at a table is a casual, relaxed, not on the alert type of a thing. And Daniel is saying, or David is saying in Psalm 23, Lord, you have so worked, you have so empowered, you're, you're, you're so present that I can sit down to a prepared meal, relaxed and comfortable in the presence of my enemies. They're right there, swords at the ready, spears ready to go, and I can sit at a meal prepared for you in front of my enemies. That's how at peace I am. 
I don't know if Daniel was quoting that one, but you know what being in the lion's den with a bunch of hungry lions is? It's sitting down and resting and relaxing in the presence of those who would like to harm you. It's Psalm 23. <coughs> Darius, who doesn't know God, is frantic for Daniel. Daniel Daniel has spent 70-something, maybe 80-something years trusting in God. It's just another night. You know, sometimes we wonder what we might do when faced with a circumstance the way Daniel was. How would I respond when I'm confronted with something so harsh or so unfair or even so dangerous or so risky? What, how would I respond when faced with something that difficult? Well, one of the secrets is this. The lion's den might be the famous moment. It might be the moment everyone sees. But that moment comes when there's been 60, 70 years of faith and trust before it. Daniel doesn't sweat the lion's den. He doesn't sweat the king's command because he has known his God for a lifetime. I have a hunch that when Daniel hears the command, it doesn't even occur to him to not go up and pray. The discipline of prayer, the openness of his life, the integrity of his heart are so practiced and so there that even the lion wasn't going to threaten it. Darius the king is frightened. Daniel, the prey, <laughs> is at peace. And by the way, this is how faithful living in faithless times happens. Day in, day out. Week in, week out. Year in, year out. Trust, even in the little things, trust in the Lord. And then when the big things happen, they don't seem quite so terrifying because we know our God. Darius shows up that next morning. This is kind of funny. Verse 20, well, verse 19, the king rose at dawn and at break of day went in haste to the lion's den. In other words, he's panicky. He runs. When he had come near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you constantly serve been able to deliver you from the lions? Now, if, if I'm Daniel, I think I would myself be going, I'm here, get me out of here now before it's too late. The only one who didn't get rest that night was the king. I don't know what Daniel's sleeping pose was, but I just had a picture of Daniel sleeping on the mane of a lion. I don't know if it happened that way or not. But one thing I know didn't happen, Daniel didn't spend the entire night teeth chattering, chewing off his fingernails, tiptoeing around the lions in case they woke up. Daniel rested. He slept. The king woke him up. 
because Daniel knew his God. The lions didn't grab the attention of the headlines here. But in fact, it's verse 10 that I think is the key. It's the open windows. It's the prayer. It's the life that Daniel led leading up to this. The open windows of Daniel's life, they extended, by the way, far beyond that porch or that room. As they extended the life that he lived for decades. You and I this morning have this opportunity to be Daniel. To, to know our God so well that even when faced with difficulty, even when faced with our own sin, to be able to rest in the work of God. Daniel's salvation, so to speak, was not in his own righteousness necessarily. It was in the faithfulness of God. That's what Daniel rested in. That's what Daniel was confident in. He wasn't resting in his own faithfulness. He was resting in God's faithfulness. When you and I come to salvation in Christ, when what we do is this, when we come to Christ and say, I am a sinner, I am helpless, I need your rescuing God, we place our lives in the hands and the work of Christ on that cross 2,000 years ago. And once we have done that, once we have turned over the destiny of our lives to Him, we no longer need worry about it. We no longer need to worry about whether we're this or that or whether we're good enough or not good enough. No more than it would have made sense for Daniel to be tiptoeing around the lions that night worried about everything. It doesn't make sense for us to trust God for our salvation and then turn around and worry about it for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. One of the great promises that you and I have as those who have trusted Christ is that we get to rest because we're in His hands. Daniel didn't shut the lions up. You and I can't shut the lions up. God does. Daniel lived an open windows life in his prayer and his trust in the Lord, and the Lord delivered. That's the story of Daniel chapter 6. And the invitation to you this morning is simply that. If you don't know the Lord this morning, if you're more like Darius, it simply is this. Would you, in faith, trust God to rescue you? To put your hands, put your life into His hands. To, probably like Daniel was praying that night, to confess your sins and trust Him to rescue, to ask Him to do that. And then trusting Him to do that, rest in His work. That's the invitation. For those of you who have done that, the next part of that is this. Stay in that trust and build a lifetime. If you're 14, 15 years old this morning, you get that you got that in front of you. You can even now begin doing what led to Daniel's lion's den moment. Some of you have been doing it for a long time. That's the invitation.